And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. We still and quiet our souls before you, O God. And in this silence, we beg you to speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening. Welcome. It's the first Sunday of Lent. Maybe you could tell a little bit of difference by some of the things that we've said, some of the colors that you see around you. Uh, it's not a less joyful season, but it is a sort of self-imposed wilderness. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But I want to encourage you to embrace the season. Embrace the season for Lent. Remember, Jesus is the reason for the season. Um, it's supposed to be a funny reference to Christmas. <laughs> Lent is made for man, not man for Lent. So we don't want to introduce a new kind of legalism to you or put some sort of burden on you that you cannot bear. But we, I do encourage you, and, and together as a community, as a church, we want to step into a wilderness that God may have for us so that he can shine a light on what's happening in our hearts and in our minds. It's a really good and beautiful thing. But let's talk about this bizarre scene that Luke writes about. Luke talks about the temptation of Jesus. And it says that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And not only that, but he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. What is happening how is the Spirit of God leading the Son of God into the wilderness that is probably a land that you might say is God-forsaken? No trees, no shrubs, hills, rocks, some water here and there, but really a barren and a desolate wilderness. What is happening? Ambrose, the Bishop of Milan, says this of Jesus' temptation. I'm going to read Ambrose's quote and then I'm going to unpack it a little bit. He says, as Adam is cast out of paradise into the wilderness, so Christ, the second Adam, is led into the wilderness on our behalf, then to come forth from temptation to lead us to paradise. Now, where did Adam come from? Why is Ambrose talking about Adam? Well, it just so happens that in Luke's gospel, 
chapter 3, verse 38, the very verse before chapter 4, verse 1, Luke has given the whole genealogy of Jesus. And Luke goes all the way back to the Son of God, Adam, or Adam, the Son of God. And in the next breath, Luke begins to describe Jesus. And so clearly there's this type of the first Adam who was in the garden, was in a good and beautiful place, in a place close to God. But when he was tempted, he and Eve, they sinned and was expelled from paradise, expelled from that garden into the wilderness. And so Jesus, now the anointed one, he's just been baptized. The, the genealogy of Jesus follows the account of his baptism. He's been baptized. We've seen the Spirit descend on him like a dove. And the first thing the Spirit says is, here we go, into wilderness, into desolation. And Jesus willingly follows and obeys. It's a beautiful moment. And he follows and obeys because Jesus can do what the first Adam could not do. Jesus can obey to the full. And in that, we see the core of who Jesus is. We see not only that he's a very good man, in fact, a very holy man. It's not just that. He is a perfect man. What St. Paul would later write and say that he is the God and he is man. He's this God-man. Not only that, he's a mediator who's given himself as a ransom at just the right time. And friends, this is an integral part of Jesus giving himself as a ransom for all people at just the right time. To be led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God, full of the Holy Spirit, and to be tempted 40 days and 40 nights. And you notice what, I love Luke's attention to detail. Verse two, it says, and he was hungry at the end of those days. Think about it though. If Jesus was by himself, there was no one there, you know, sitting off to the side, quill and ink in hand, writing this all down. Think about what it must have been like for the disciples to hear Jesus tell and recount and retell the story of being in the wilderness of being tempted, of staring down Satan. And I wonder if he preached a little bit to the disciples. One thing we see clearly about Satan's angle in this is that he wants to sow mistrust. Isn't that always what the devil does? It's just, yes, just a little bit of mistrust. Just a little bit of doubt. Tiny bit. Because all it takes is one little crack then to widen and widen into a fissure. And next thing you know, we're believing things that are not true. We're believing lies. And so Satan sows mistrust. If you are the son of God, if, command the stone to become bread. <laughs> and I wonder if Jesus laughed inside because here he is in the wilderness, wandering for a period of 40 days, much like a period of 40 years that the people of Israel wandered. The same people, so Adam couldn't get it right. The people of Israel as a nation couldn't get it right. 
And here's Jesus, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus' retort is, is, is quick and pithy, but it has tremendous significance. It comes from the book of Deuteronomy. He says, well, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. That's right, by bread alone. And when God takes the people of Israel through this moment, when he communicates to them, because I wanted you to know that man shall not live by bread alone, he says, I afflicted you. You were afflicted so that you would know. And you received manna from heaven, a something, a substance totally unknown to you and your fathers, so that you would know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What did St. Paul say? The word is near you. The word is near you. For Jesus, the word was very near. It was in his heart. Not only does Satan so mistrust if, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit? He said to Adam and Eve. But Satan also attacks the identity of Jesus. If you are the son of God. When you think about temptation that you've been through, Whatever it may be, it takes all shapes and sizes. I, I don't, maybe you've been in a, a place where you've felt literally tempted by Satan, but maybe it's been more commonplace. No matter what it is, we notice that it generally leads us away subtly, slightly from our core identity of who we are. If we are to follow this temptation, we're to commit some sort of mutiny against ourselves, if you will, of who God has made us to be. You'll see on the front of your bulletin, it says you're made to be fully human. And what that means is Jesus is the fully human one and you are made in the image of God and so you're made to be like him, to live like him, at, in your very best, to be like Christ, to be a son or a daughter of God, to be one of the beloved. And in temptation, as Satan sows mistrust, he attacks our identity to draw us away from who God has called us to be, to draw us away from the things and the mission that God has called us to live into out of the overflow of our being. Now, as wild and crazy as, and bizarre as this account of Jesus being in the desert, in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, of facing down each of these temptations with the word of God, we need to remember that this is very applicable to us. It's easy to write it off. Oh, yeah, that was in Israel. There's a, there's a monastery now, there now. It's really crazy. Man, I can't believe that. But we go through series of trials and temptations. We go through seasons of wilderness. You may be in one right now. You may be in some sort of transition where you don't really feel like you know what step is the next. Or you don't feel like you have a foothold on anything. We go through temptation and wilderness and Jesus is with us. What did St. Paul say? The word is near you. That's both the word of God written in Holy Scripture and the word of God, Christ himself. We sang earlier tonight at the very beginning of the service, uh, Come ye sinners, poor and needy. And that second verse 
hit me on Ash Wednesday as we sing it. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. As Ash Wednesday came, I realized that I had been in a sort of pace of life that had me weary. It had me lost and ruined by the fall, just exhausted. Not really, know, not really knowing which way was up. And the next, stand, next part of the stanza says, If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. And I found how often I just kind of, Oh, yeah, I'll pray about that. I know, I know. I got to deal with my stuff. I'll do that later. I'll talk to somebody later. I'll, I'll do that later. But the chorus is situated perfectly because it says, I will arise and go to Jesus. Guys, in our trial, in our temptation, in that moment of should you do this or should you not, no matter what it is, Jesus is with you. He's right there. He's not scowling at you. He's not shaming you. He's inviting you to himself. He can do that because he has stared down temptation. He has stared down the wilderness. He has stared down Satan. And he has conquered, not just for himself, not just for Adam way back then, not just for Israel, but for you and for me and for all who will call on his name. We walk through the wilderness. And it sucks. I'm, the day before Ash Wednesday, I was right because I was I was pretty low. I was writing down in my journal, why? What is the deal? What's the deal with Lent? Why? Why is this so difficult? Why am I having such a hard time? Why can I not shake this? And I realized, dummy, not dummy. I'm not saying to you, dummy. Jesus is here. It's the same thing that the father says to the older brother in the prodigal son parable. Hey, I know you're mad because we killed the fattened calf for your younger brother who went and squandered all of his inheritance with loose living and all sorts of crazy stuff. But you've been with me the whole time. Everything that I have is yours. And it's almost as if Jesus says that to us in a reverse way. I've been with you the whole time. Everything that I have is yours. Just cry out. Just come to me. As I said earlier, Lent is a self-imposed wilderness. It's good to take away the things that anesthetize our souls. Whether it's food or drink or the ticket or music or I don't, know what, I don't know what you're thinking about fasting from. And if you haven't started fasting, why not? If you haven't started fasting, it's okay. It's never too late to start. <laughs> but you should think about it. Take away the things that numb you to the pain of life. Maybe it's social media. I'm not trying to list things to, to accuse you. I'm just trying to say we find any number of ways to numb ourselves from the hurt of life. We have been through terrible, traumatic things. We are going through terrible, traumatic things, many of us. And we will find whatever it takes to put the pain away. And in Lent, in the wilderness, 
instead of having our identity questioned by Satan, what Jesus is trying to do is help us to get to the core of our identity. Jesus came away from that temptation with total clarity of who he is. He is the anointed son of God. He is going to fulfill the father's plan. He is going to Jerusalem with a resolute face for his departure, his exodus, so that he might draw all, draw all men and women to himself. Jesus was crystal clear on his identity. And Lent is all about, in this self-imposed wilderness, helping us get to clarity about who we are, and more importantly, about whose we are. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. He has a calling on our life. Nevertheless, Satan will he will sow mistrust. He will raise doubts. He will question our identity. And it is in these moments of darkness that we think Jesus is far from us. It's in that exact moment of crisis when you feel like it's been, you've gone too far, it's too late. And we think Jesus is too far from us, but he is not. He is with us. He is close to us. The word is near to you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. So in those moments, we can confess. We can believe. But we have to believe. Because at some point, if we don't persist in belief, we will waver in unbelief and we will stay mired in the nastiness. And we'll abide in the darkness. And we'll forget that Jesus is standing right there next to us, extending his hand to us to come to him and walk with him. For me, it's, I just have to quiet myself down because I escalate. I have to quiet down and I have to abide with him. So Jesus has undergone this temptation to radically reverse the sin of Adam and Eve. We go through the wilderness, we go through temptation and trials, and he's with us in those and lastly, the good thing about all this, ultimately, is that there is an end to the wilderness. That's why it's the wilderness. That's why nobody lives out there, except for the Texas Panhandle, God bless it. Where my wife and I grew up, it's like the wilderness. But there, the wilderness is coming to an end. And of all the unlikely places we hear it in the story of Israel, and when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, Deuteronomy says, when, it's not if, if you're the son of God, if you're really, if you really loved God, but when, when God delivers you from this trial, when God gives you clarity to get through this tribulation in this wilderness, when, and you know what else about the when? What did you notice about Deuteronomy 26? It's really beautiful as a per person with a liturgical and worship background. That was a liturgical moment. The instruction was telling the Israelite how to offer the first fruits of the harvest. So when you get to the land, when you're through with the trial, when you have that clarity, there's going to be born what? Fruit. Fruit that's unimaginable. Fruit that you didn't know to ask for. Fruit that you did not even know to expect God will draw from you. And not just for you to satisfy you, but will be enough for everyone around you. That's part of our mission of being God's people. That's why we emphasize here at St. Bart's being 
abiding in him. Because as we do, God produces fruit. Jesus had absolute clarity about his identity and his mission. So yes, Jesus is tempted by Satan to undo the sin of Adam and Eve, and that will be fully undone and atoned for at the cross. But Jesus also goes through this wilderness to clarify who he is. It doesn't mean he didn't know who he was, but if he was fully God and fully man, he would have had doubts and questions. We can fast forward to Gethsemane and hear his cries of agony as he's pressed down by the weight of what is about to happen. So Jesus comes through the trial, the temptation, with crystal clear identity and mission. So, on this first Sunday of Lent, here's what I want you to do. I don't often tell you what to do, but I'm going to tell you now what to do. Embrace the season. Just go for it. Ask questions. Send us an email. Google it. But embrace the season. And in doing so, deny yourself. Take away those things that you use to anesthetize yourself and numb the pain. Welcome the hardship and the trial. Welcome the difficulty. Welcome the hunger pangs, the shakes that you get. Welcome the boredom. Oh, man, we need the boredom. We need a space for God to speak. But we do all of it not because we can say, hey guys, I did it. We do it with hope because God has a greater purpose in it. God is drawing out of us his good and lasting fruit. So we do it with hope because we know it's coming to an end. We know that Easter will soon be here. We know that the celebration of resurrection will be here. But more than that, we know that one day we will look back and we will thank God for the difficulty. We will thank God for the little things that we gave up because they prepared us for bigger, harder things that he would impose upon us. But most of all, we're going to come away with clear identity of who we are. Loved, treasured sons and daughters of God. And we'll have a clear picture of what he's calling us into in this season. Let us pray. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We're excited about this season. It seems counterintuitive. Lord, we know that there's much more hardship and trial ahead. But we thank you. And joyfully, we thank you that your word is near to us. It is in our heart. It is in our mouth. Thank you for saving us. And God, we pray that just as you have saved us, that you would use us in your mysterious ways to save others, to rescue others from the blackness and brokenness of being without you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.